All right, so we are in uh, the first part of lecture 14 today. And the lecture is called The Workings of Evil Spirits. So I don't know, I have so many different questions and topics and things to, to cover, but um, before I do any, uh, but have anything that they want to, um, any insights or, or lessons learned right off the bat that uh, you'd like to, to discuss first, just throwing that out there. It's a fun one. <laughs> we'll let you take it away. I think we, yeah, I definitely have some questions or thoughts, but uh, yeah, we'll get there. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're so fun. So why do you think that evil spirits is such a a taboo thing? Like, I mean, obviously, if it happened in the past and all throughout all scripture, why are we so scared or nervous or, or whatever, or oblivious to the fact that it would exist in today's day and in the restoration? Like, I, I talked to, to somebody just yesterday and they were saying, oh, well, Joseph Smith took care of all of that for us. We don't have to worry about evil spirits anymore. Yay. Well, yeah. <laughs> give, give this... <laughs> <laughs> why did he tell us what to do when we met them? Exactly. <laughs> I was like, what, can you point to like a chapter and verse on that kind of a reference? Because exactly like what Flora said, like, I'm pretty sure it's just the opposite. He gave us the tools and keys to, to recognize it. But Cameron, huh. Wayne here, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, when we talk about them, we often draw them to us. It's like playing with a Ouija board. You play, start playing with a Ouija board, evil spirits will come around you and they'll talk to you and they do it through the Ouija board. That's why we don't like talking about them. Yeah, exactly. It attracts them is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. yeah like a fly to a or what is it moth to a flame <laughs> i got my uh -huh. <laughs> idioms uh mixed up there but yeah we're also just way too intellectual it we're we've gotten into the the mindset of we got to see it to believe it um just the whole that western thinking mm -hmm. that if we don't you know scientific if we don't see it it's not real um we're we're beyond that. We're smarter than that. We're not going to, we have scientific reasons for everything. And, and, and with that, I think there's just, you know, there's a lot of fear with, with feeling like we're not equipped to do something about it or like we we lack the understanding and uh and often the power to do to you know to do like what you know he's he's using Moses as an example casting him out and stuff and anyways I, I don't think I don't think most people um feel equipped to do something about it so it's easier just to kind of you know <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah close our eyes and ears to it yeah exactly as I was growing up like I, I don't know why it was in, intriguing but I used to like horror movies scary things you know like the the thrill of whatever but how how do we cope with those kind of things it's just kind of like what you're saying Amy that like, oh, well, if you just kind of ignore it, then it eventually goes out of your mind and then you can move on with your, your day. And so it's kind of like this weird coping mechanism uh, to just just ignore. Um, but I mean, anybody that's like a communications expert, right? Like if you just ignore a problem, it just grows, right? And so you've got to actually handle the issue in order to to move on past whatever's happening. And so... Yeah, if you never cast out, if you never get rid of the evil spirits, they're just going to keep coming back. But yeah, it, it's an interesting cycle for sure, especially in the the restoration. I try to be as open and talk about it as <laughs> as much as I can, but uh, people do think you're weird sometimes. <laughs> That's for I'd sure. I'd like to say something about yeah. this. <laughs> I've actually read a lot about this and um, about evil spirits and. I will 
uh, put, well, there's a guy named Scott Gillespie. He is, uh, he and his wife, his wife has the gift of discerning spirits and, uh, his story is remarkable. I mean, it, it's really incredible. And he, we don't avoid talking about it. Um, who was it? Shalise, I shared that with you. One of the, his, it was Parley Pratt said, there was no subject that Joseph Smith spoke on more than the, the discerning of spirits. <laughs> and when we think about how many times the saviors cast out evil spirits in the Bible, um, when we talk about it, it doesn't invite them. It doesn't invite them. It We get more knowledge about it. If we're inviting for spirits to help us with something, yeah, that's inviting them. But learning more about them is a, is a, a great way for us to be strengthened. And one thing that I, I have always uh, thought that I truly believe, and I teach my kids this, is the person with the body is the boss. So I have a body. I'm stronger than Satan. And I have, you know, I know how to use the name of Jesus Christ. And um, so I don't, I'm not afraid. Um, and I do talk to my kids about it so that they understand when I see homeless people that are like flipping around outside, I, I say he has a devil. And of course my kids look at me sideways, but you know, if you can introduce that and just go, no, I mean that think about the Bible and um, anyway, so I, I think it's, if we don't, we can't avoid it. We are, we are to bring, you know, Zion and, and peace and, and help others do the same. And sometimes you know, pornography addictions, any kind of addiction is there are devils there, evil spirits, dark spirits that are feeding off of that and helping you to not overcome that hmm. addiction or that, you know, whatever that the affliction is. And, um, no, I've read a lot about it and, uh, continue to do so because I think that we're going to, we'll need to discern those spirits even more in the days to come and they're everywhere they're everywhere mm -hmm. so there's there's no need to fear and there and we are um clothed with we're clothed with right with righteousness and of course we have priesthood priesthood power we need to be educated about about them so that we can use that power mm -hmm. when needed yeah all of that so how can we better sharpen our skills for discernment? How can we get that spiritual gift when we need it uh, to be able to discern spirits and to identify them um, and and all of that? Like, uh, for example, like last night I was talking to uh, someone and uh, they were saying, oh, um, my husband is a totally different person inside the temple versus outside the temple. As soon as we step outside, it's just like he's just emotionally abusive. And I'm like, oh, well, he's possessed. <laughs> like, it, it's just plain and simple to me. I, I just set it out. And then she's like, wait, you really think so? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, 100%. I mean, if you have a complete character change uh, based on sacred space, then then yeah, I, there's, there's possession involved. So like, just cast it out, move on with your day kind of a thing. Um, but anyway, it was just really interesting, kind of this topic that we got on last night of identification of of evil spirits how, how what kind of tips or telltale signs have you guys seen uh in identifying of uh, adversarial attacks and and things Cameron, yeah it's much deeper than what you're talking about can i share real quickly mm -hmm. when we're born into this world we're given <clears throat> spirits that consist of our family who are with us and guide us along. And you can see it in your life as different things happen. We also have evil spirits assigned to us who are with us all the time. It's not a matter of just casting them out, but you'll hear them when they make you afraid mm -hmm. or make you want to break the Just little whispers. Want to break the commandments. You go into a dysfunctional family, <clears throat> And you think, well, it's just their weaknesses. No, it's the evil spirits quietly saying, hey, jam it to your sister. 
he, uh, get ahead of her for the use of the bathroom. Just small little things. The only way I found is I have to lift my spirit through prayer and reading the scriptures. And then I become discerning and I see it. And I don't cast them out. I just know I'm not going to listen to you. And I won't. Just don't listen. Go away. Listen to the voices of the Holy Ghost talking to you quietly, telling you, do this, do that. And it works every time when I do that. Mm -hmm. It's my, my experience. Yeah. Um, so what can we learn from Job's story and his experience? Um, as we we see kind of this interesting uh, drama, I guess, play out between uh, God and and uh, Satan, the adversary, uh, kind of arguing over this this earthly man. Uh, what kind of things can we learn about uh, the workings of of evil spirits from that kind of story? Uh, different things that Avraham pointed out, or or things that you've uh, gained in your your personal study. a good question that I don't really like have a great answer for I, I feel like every time I hear the story of Job I just I think there's I don't know I just see it as like there's so much packed in that story for us to understand that mm -hmm. for me I, I don't know like you know definitely um little tidbits that I think are helpful but I don't know I, I do think there is something really important that can help us understand that role of Satan the relationship there the anyways and just and then obviously um God's plan and and all of that but yeah I was I was I was I basically have the same question and, and would love to just hear anybody's insights on the story of Job, you know, how, kind of expounding on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I, I'd like to make a statement. Job is a great example, and it's a fact that every one of us came here to get the hell beat out of us. <laughs> no exceptions. All of us. So we think we've been through difficult times. We've had deaths and divorces and fired from our job and kicked out of school and this and that and whatever. We hang our heads and we say, oh, I'm such a loser until we look around everywhere, everywhere around us, every human being. Go to church, look at Brother Smith, look at Brother Jones. We are all in the same boat. We're all going through it. No exceptions. And I start talking to him and start talking to him. I find out they've had the hell beat out of them. Who knows what it was, but they'll tell you about it if you'll listen and don't, and don't condemn them or pass judgment. And when you get to that understanding that you're a Job too, in your own way, maybe not as bad as Job, but it's there. Uh, you realize why we're here. And what you do, in my case, you make up your mind, your head's going to get real hard and you're not backing off, not now, not ever. You made your covenants in the temple. You're not backing down. I'm going to keep the law of consecration. I'm going to keep the law of chastity. I don't care what happens. And I'm going to keep my marriage covenant I made in the temple over the altars. So I'm not backing down. That's just how it is. And if they beat the hell out of me, then let them beat the hell out of me. But I'm not backing down. And Job did not back down, if you read his story. Yeah. What a wonderful man. Mm -hmm. Great example of what we're to do in light of our problems and our challenges. So that's, and I don't think that God accepts excuses very well. So that's my opinion. <laughs> I I love too with the story that stands out to me is, um, you know, just kind of building off of that is, um, I, 
yeah, like he, he was, he was firm and strong in what he knew, but it also, because he had been to the depths of hell, it opened him up or he allowed it to, it, it was, it's an invitation to come to know God, you know? And so he, you know, he, he, he used it, you know, he had, he had questions and, and confusion and things like that, but he was firm and strong through that process, that wrestle of trying to like, who is this God that I worship? Right. And, uh, and, and then, you know, it talks about his blessings after, and I think it's just that beautiful, um, parallel, you know, or, or, just opportunity for us as we, as we do experience such hardship or whatever, that it is, it is the opportunity to come to know God. And that is, you know, our, our blessings multiply, not just, not just like physical blessings, but like our, yeah, those spiritual blessings just unfold before us. But anyways but yeah it i still it's just that interesting it's just so interesting how that that how satan is portrayed this this conversation happening or whatever that is just kind of intriguing and yeah something to ponder on mm -hmm. i after studying isaiah come it brings on a whole different level for me. Um, you can see how he was a proxy savior. Um, you can see how the greater the descent, the, the, the higher the ascent after the fact. Um, yeah. I, I've always been curious about the conversation with Satan and this and heavenly father. Mm -hmm. Um, just makes me think so much more about where he was cast down to and and what he was allowed to do he's he's vital to the plan um just as judas was vital to the plan so i just i don't know where to go with that but i've been curious <laughs> well he he kind of later you know when he's talking about abraham's talking about um, Moses, the story of Moses and his experience. Well, he gives a number of examples. I'm trying to find where it was. It's clear down in like minute 30 something. Um, and he kind of just is saying based off of those, how, oh, essentially that maybe I, I should read it so I don't slaughter or say something wrong. Um, so, oh, it's it's when when Saul, this is one of the examples, you know, the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. I was going to look up if there was any Joseph Smith translation on that. I don't know if anybody else already knows that but anyways but he so Abraham's co commentary on that is again an evil spirit from Jehovah well yes because the Lord allows them and gives them power as he did Satan over Job to provide opposition to whoever he thinks is ready to deal with that opposition because the Lord has a personal plan for each one of us and anyways I don't know I I haven't thought of it like that before and I'm just trying to I haven't had time. To I have never thought of it like that enough. before either, because there is a Joseph Smith translation that specifically says not for the Lord. Okay. Spirit, That's not what from I... the Lord. And it said that every single time. Same with um, Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's always, that, that struck me as like, huh, I've never actually taken it at face value because of that translation mm -hmm. yeah see that i don't know just that with with other things i don't know that's kind of more along the lines of how i fell but i'm just it did just 
initially got me wondering like is there is there do they have complete free reign or or are they in somehow uh i don't know i don't even know what to ask so maybe i shouldn't try but yeah i i just kind of struggled with that with that idea that he threw out there i i don't i don't picture god really you know like interacting in that sense and i think that's kind of why i've like had this question with job like that interaction of like okay uh kind of god commanding them to okay you go you go you can go and do this with job or uh yeah i don't know that the lord's directing these evil spirits or just it's just more of like the fact that they they can influence us and then we can seek god's power to overcome them and whatnot anyways mm -hmm. yeah i so, have thought on yeah. that along the lines of what we've been discussing and um i'm what i've wondered um if job is a teaching story yes more than a factual story, almost like when we go through our temple endowments where they're teaching things, they're not necessarily always literal. I I so agree, Lisa. That's kind of, yeah, that's what my impression has been, but yeah. It does seem like the, the way Job is written, that it's a drama, it's a play. Um, and it's, it's presented as a play, which really makes sense, you know, with because it's drama when you've got someone coming in one right after another with all of this hard stuff. I mean, yes, we know Job was real and it probably did, you know, these things may have happened, but in that close succession or, you know, it's, it was, it seems very much that it was presented as a play, as a drama for, you know, for teaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I've had uh, similar questions as far as the, um, like how, how is God directing the affairs of uh, our tests, right? Like <laughs> it makes it kind of seem um, a little bit sinister, right? It, it's kind of like the, uh, that God's dishing out this and that and just kind of, uh, I don't know playing games sometimes you know it can it can sometimes seem like that um when we read job or, or different stories and so one thing that was interesting in um my studies uh, a couple years back but um what really makes sense to me is the the pattern of ascent and, and descent and where um as we do ascend to higher spiritual levels we are we are refining our covenant process, right? So we have greater expectations. And therefore, if if the blessings increase, so do the cursings. And so um, sometimes if we were obeying the, the exact same law on this level of the ladder, and we have ascended to a new level of the ladder, then we can't do the same things and expect the exact same results. And so um, as we do ascend and then we transgress against that ascension or um, do uh, merit uh, a covenant curse, whether our own or or one that we are serving as a proxy savior for, then deeper are the the falls that that uh, accompany that. And so um, it, sometimes it, it seems a little strange with like Job's story here that that God's providing the opposition, but the the laws are immutable, like. The, the blessings are the blessings and the cursings are the cursings. Those don't change, but our position changes on, on the level, uh, the, the ladder to heaven, right? And so um, we can sometimes merit a stronger curse because we have ascended to a new spiritual height and more is expected of us, a, a tighter um, understanding of the, the covenant 
that we are, are are living it at any given time. I don't know if that all makes sense, but it makes sense in my brain <laughs> getting that out. Um, but yeah, I think that Isaiah's paradigm has really opened that up to me and going, oh, yes, the Lord's not just playing games with us, but but our point of reference changes. We have new paradigms at different levels in our existence and and we may experience things differently at different times in our lives but i don't know <laughs> that that actually reminds me um i i have fallen in love with the book pinocchio mm -hmm. i grew up you know with disney and i didn't know that you know there was actually a real book once i actually read the book i totally fell in love with it and it shows in in the book it shows pinocchio's progression just like that when he first starts out his mistakes are little um it may mess him up for a day or two and then he can recover but each time he messes up it's a bigger fall and it takes more work and more dedication to pull himself out of it and then when he messes up it's a harder thing and it fall he falls even further and each time you know we're then at the end, you know, he's working years to get himself back up again. And so by the time he's actually a real boy, it, it really is a, it, it's a little metaphor for our life on earth and returning and progressing and going through this cycle. I've, I've totally fallen in love with the book of Pinocchio. Who would have thought? That is so interesting. You know how like the Lord makes these like coincidences. You're the third person this week that has recommended Pinocchio to me. Like this is like so interesting. I love this book. I love it. And, and it surprised and, me so much because the other portrayals just do not do it justice at yeah. all. Exactly. The original, the original intent of the author in portraying the, the things is so important. But yeah, because I what language was it first written in? But they said, german or, or something i can't remember but um they said make sure to to read it and look up the words because they have a whole different thing than you know what the disney <laughs> uh portrayal is and so anyway i i started but i haven't finished that but man I, yeah i'm gonna fall in love with that story too that's fun i love how there's just so much around us all the time that <laughs> we can learn from but then a lot of times we'll dumb it down or uh disnify uh <laughs> the, the different stories right that's so interesting um so one thing from job's story uh one question that i don't necessarily have an answer for but i would love to to see if anybody has thoughts or opinions on it is what about these three comforters or these three pseudo friends of of jobs that come into him are are those a pattern because i mean it, the story especially the chiastic nature of job really highlights on those in an interesting way is that a pattern for all ascents and descents and or is it kind of on a certain level and above kind of a thing that we have those but i mean are three comforters and three pseudo comforters the pattern like i don't know just tossing that out there and you don't have to answer it, but just something to think about. Yeah, every time you are tempted, see, there's there's two sources of temptation. There's this side of the veil, and there's the, what comes from the other side of the veil. And sometimes they team up because one inspires the other. It's like when I wanted to go on a mission, okay? I did. I served a mission. I went to Indonesia. Okay, the minute that I made that decision, all hell broke loose, okay? Things didn't work out, this, that, whatever. And then here comes the non-Mormon family. Oh, don't waste your time on a mission. Two years out selling religion. How much are they paying you, by the way? Do you get a retirement program out of this two years? What? They're not paying you? Are you an idiot? And that's the kind of opposition that you get. And my dad essentially abandoned me. He says, I'm not paying for your education anymore. I likened them to the devils because they were talking just like the guys on the other side of the veil. I went anyway to hell with them. That was my attitude. 
<laughs> and uh, I got a lot out of it, but you're going to get opposition from both sides of the veil, okay? And it usually comes in the form of money and career. What's this going to do to your financial position? Unfortunately, a lot of Latter-day Saints give in to that kind of nonsense, and they don't make the decision God wants them to make. So here we are. Okay. That's what I've learned about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, sorry, there's somebody trying to get into our, our meeting today or whatever, and I'm <laughs> trying to <laughs> get them the, the link and stuff. But um, any other lessons from from job or maybe we move on to to the moses account but anyway uh, what other thoughts and, and things did you did you have from the story i guess i would say that as we battle in our minds whether god directs satan he is omnipotent he is all-knowing he is in charge so if he doesn't tell satan what to do he certainly puts parameters and allows him to do only what he would have him do. Like Satan can't do anything that God doesn't allow. Can I say something here? God doesn't allow anything in this way. We're in a world where the law, the law that we're living in is a law of opposition. Under that law, it's the law that allows him and it's us that allow Satan to do what he does. But we as a people can bind Satan if we'll live the laws of God, keep his commandments, do what the Savior said. As I have loved you, love one another. If we were to do that, we as a Latter-day Saint people would bind him. So it's really us that are giving Satan permission, not God. We're doing that, and we're doing that in a mortal world. The mortal world is a world where Satan is here and God is here, and then we decide who's going to bind us. We're going to decide what Satan does. So far, how are we doing? Why don't you read the Book of Mormon? See what it says about Latter-day Israel. Read the Book of Isaiah. It talks about Latter-day Gentiles. How are we doing, folks? Read what, what Gilead is saying. We're not doing so well. We have sinned against the gospel, and we've rejected the fullness of the gospel. That's 3 Nephi 16 and 10, and he's talking about us. So my attitude is I'm in a constant state of repentance as I learn the things that I'm not doing to obey the Lord's laws and to live the way he wants me to live. So far, I'm making progress, but I'm not there. So I don't think the Lord allows Satan to do anything. I think it's us that allows him to do things. So with the um, the high mountain um, uh, imagery that uh, we we learned from like uh, Book of Moses, uh, Nephi, etc., why do you think that that's such an important um, part to to pick up on? Uh, that the ascending to a high mountain is uh, always the the pattern for for spiritual progression um we see here that uh moses uh was caught up into an exceedingly high mountain nephi also saw the lord on a high mountain uh, the temple in jerusalem used to be on a high mountain before they leveled uh, and made it flatter uh, we we have such imagery of of high mountains so um and especially <laughs> cosmic perspective uh right uh, flora but um what why is that important um, that we ascend? What what What's powerful in the process of ascension that we have to go up to a high mountain in order to receive these kind of things? Is that not temple imagery and the throne of God and where we, where we do meet him and, you know, um, are able to speak with him. I mean, is that, is that, yeah, mm -hmm. is that correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, being in the presence of God, uh, the temple imagery and um, uh, the place where I, 
where God and man can uh, right meet. right where we can where we can meet God and I think that is that is so important. P.S. That I think last week I mentioned the the book um, "Plain and Precious Things" by well, David Butler on the book. It's D. John Butler, but mm -hmm. I also I've seen like a couple interviews with him lately. But I didn't realize it was the same guy. And he's, you know, he he talks about like Nephi or Lehi, Nephi's vision. And so many other things, the Sermon on the Mount being temple texts. And, you know, he kind of goes into the, the mountain, the ascending up to God's throne and stuff. And so fascinating. But, um, yeah, I, I just, like, all of a sudden, all those stories, like you're just saying, like, why, why is Moses go? Or why, like, that's the pattern that we see, right? And... Anyways, yeah, it's just got me pondering on my own, you know, just like how, how am I, you know, maybe I'm not ready to go up to, to truly go up to the mountain and speak with the Lord, but if not, why, you know, how do I, how do I prepare myself for that? Anyways, mm -hmm. I just, so it's so <clears throat> interesting. You brought that up it, um, about David Butler. Cause it's not the one that does come follow me. Right. Mm -mm. No. Right. And I think, I think I shared with you guys that link last week with the interview with Mike day. Oh, mm -hmm. he, he has, and it was that same thing with Mike and that's him, but I don't, that's him, but he does his own come follow me. No, oh, he, okay. Mike day does. Cause he's talking yeah. scriptures. Right. Right. Yeah, no, and it was the same thing that you're talking about in your book. And um, so I brought it up because this my I'm taking a New Testament class with BYU Idaho. And this week our reading part of our readings, Matthew five through ten. And the first thing I was flying last night and the I decided to read my my class, start my class reading, and the first thing I see is and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Yeah. And I was reminded of that David Butler video. That's the same thing you're talking about. Um, all he talks about is how the Sermon on the Mount is an ascension. Like he went up to a mountain. And then his, um, then his disciples came up to him. Up to him. And the, everything he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is all ascension, how to get there. And he goes, he tells all these seemingly random stories, but they're not random. They're all showing you how to come to the Lord. And so as I'm reading this last night on the flight, I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't I download that YouTube video? I have to watch that again. So that's on my list of things to do is to watch that again, because, and that's the one I'm sure I shared the link with you guys last week. Yeah, you did. I, okay. I, yeah, I watched that one and it's just so amazing. And the book, I would so recommend it to everybody. The plain and precious things like, mm -hmm. oh my god, I'm gonna go look for it today. Yeah. And then I'm he's gonna go look for it one today. I'm excited to delve into um, that I think kind of goes into the some of some stuff in Isaiah, I believe. Anyways, I have to write down the name because if I don't, I'll forget it. I'll think that I'll remember it and then I won't. Mm -hmm. So it's David Butler, Plain and Precious Things. Yeah, but it's under on the book. It's he it's D. John Butler, but I'm okay. sure either way. OK, that's good to know, because I thought, oh, I can just look for um, David Butler books. So that won't work. But so I just, it kind of does like a pseudonym, kind of. Right. But I love just like Cameron asked that question. It's just like you're saying, it's like you get these, I don't know, these messages coming from different angles, mm. right? You bringing up like, why is it important to, you know, or, or, or not why is it important, but just, yeah, the significance of going up to the mountain. And mm -hmm. anyways, I, mm -hmm. yeah. Could, could it be that the, the significance of being taken up to the high mountain is a place where um, Satan can't go. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, but look how Satan mimicked that. Remember, because he took Christ up to a high mountain in the second temptation but what about him coming when moses was on the mountain would that be that same experience or do you see that as yeah i don't know i don't know like as a a mimic Uh uh-huh because it every ascension requires temptation and uh opposition i mean because like this was a a really interesting kind of an aside this week as i was uh, reading uh Nephi Lehi's dream um and uh, Nibley's commentary on that which was fascinating because he oh. did two different word studies on the word straight and uh the iron rod and um the oh, well I guess the other one doesn't matter because it's not coming to me <laughs> but anyway the the word straight so we have two different English words right and uh the GHT version and the AIT version and it's a very pointed one that's used in the Book of Mormon in that that way. And um, so if you take that same phrasing, the straight and narrow, and look that up in the original Hebrew texts, you'll find that straight and narrow is, is a common phrase throughout uh, Hebrew. And that it never, it, I mean, we always think of like straight as being like straight as narrow kind of a thing. No, I, straight meant the the best course from point A to point B, but it is wild. It's treacherous. It, it requires an iron rod in order to traverse it. And they always, uh, so every ancient temple, regardless of religion, had an uh, umbilicus or uh, amphalos, I, I think it is uh, in some languages, that um, came out of the temple. The umbilical cord that came out of the temple so that people could ascend because they were always up on high mountains and you had to hold on to the umbilical cord to get up it. And it was always made out of iron and it was always on this winding path up the mountain because a wind gust would come up and blow you off or, or whatever. Like that, you, it, It's very treacherous to come into the presence of the Lord. Satan is always there to dissuade you, to, to get you to, to veer off the mists of darkness and everything. How many times have we thought of like Lehi's dream as being like, Oh, this this perfectly straight river and this perfectly straight iron rod leading to this this tree of life. It can't be that hard. Like, why would it be that hard? <laughs> but th- this is very treacherous. This is the hardest thing that we're ever having to do. And uh, let alone the mists of darkness that come in and, and all of this stuff to to dissuade us to to get to the exceedingly high mountain, because that that's another interesting distinction. Satan can go to a high mountain, but he can't go to an exceedingly high mountain. Okay. The exceedingly high mountain is where God is and where Satan cannot be. And you have to cast him off. Like, that's why we are given the pattern in the temple. God isn't going to cast out for us. We have to cast Satan off through our actions, through our attitudes, through our righteous living. And, uh, and often... For the exceedingly high mountain, we see that it is an actual literal casting out that has to happen um, in order to to come into his presence. So anyway, I think that's just very interesting how, I mean, we have these stories all throughout our scriptures, but if we're not understanding some of the the intent of the words that sometimes we, we come up with a littler or less impactful version of the same story kind of thing. And thus we live below our privileges. <laughs> My goodness, so sad and true. So with that story, with, I mean, using the Moses as the example, um, uh, you know, like three times, you, you know, get the hint, Satan. And then, and then it's that fourth time that, you know, um, he, he, calls upon the name of Christ to cast him out. Um, I can't remember exactly what Avraham said about that, but um, is that, is that because it's like, it's, it's, we, we are calling upon God's power, you know, with our agency the power we have we are calling upon the power of god to cast him out and like 
that we can't rely upon our own power to do so. Um, that it's, but you know, our power, we do have the power of using our agency to call upon God. I don't know. I was just curious your thoughts on, on that aspect of it. Just, I mean, it makes sense why Christ's name would hold, hold power to do so, but I don't know. I, I don't think I'd really thought about before why, you know, that those three times he was unable to cast him out until it was calling upon Christ's name. But yeah. Mm -hmm. And we kind of see somewhat of a similar thing with Joseph Smith too, right? Like he starts calling upon and then he's overtaken by the adversary. So, I mean, it requires the utmost effort. It's not going to come maybe the first or second time, but it's, it's when it's that, that absolute reliance upon an intermediary upon a savior, because we're calling upon God and, and we need to, uh, for lack of a better example, like we need to ground, we need to, we need to form a connection between us and God. And sometimes we're, we're, <laughs> if you understand electrical currents, sometimes we're zapping around, but until we actually connect, and that's what we're calling upon God is to form that connection, provide us an intermediary, provide us a savior that can form as that grounding rod and get us properly aligned with the power so that the power can flow in between God and us and that we can have that potential power actually available and ready to to use um and in order to fully cast out and and do that and just like joseph smithing i saw a light above my head like it it comes when when you're properly grounded when you have an intermediary the christ that can actually connect god to us because we can't do it ourselves as soon as christ enters the picture then we we become this I, I, we get all of God's power in order to to fully cast all fear aside, kind of a thing. It is how I understand it. The metaphors and different things, but I like that image. That's it's cool to think about. I've just been noticing in the temple lately that how um, you know we we're taught how to cast out in the name of Jesus Christ. But when Elohim casts him out, it's just depart, you know, because right. he, he has the power there, mm -hmm. but here, but we're given this tool that we can use, you know, because Satan, I mean, that's the one thing that he can't, he doesn't have any power over is Jesus Christ. And so we're mm -hmm. given that tool. So if we get caught in uh, something like that we we know what to do yeah. and that's interesting um because <clears throat> obviously in my new testament class we're just starting and so the last week was all and even this week has been all about the healings that christ has done and it's just struck me like sometimes you just he doesn't say anything. He just touches them. And they, like the woman who touched his hand, you know, didn't even touch him. Or it's just simple words. And as I've been reading that, I've just been like, why don't we see that today? Why can't we do that today? And then he tells, you know, his apostles, go and do likewise. Here's the power. You go do it. And it's like, wow, like how far we have departed or fallen or sunken i don't know what the word is from from that yeah. like we don't even know how to to access that kind of healing yeah. and and to be in tune with heavenly father enough because i mean christ we don't often read that christ didn't heal people but there's times maybe where we need to be in tune enough to know that maybe it's not the healing that's needed, right? That we just need to be able to know what the Lord's will is. And so to know who to heal and who to help and who desires it. I don't know. It, I've been pondering that a lot too. <clears throat> so 
So another question that, that popped out to me in the, the Moses story uh, in Abraham's commentary here, um, it's in the 11, minute 11-ish, um, but he's saying that now this pronunciation of thou art my son, in which the vassal ceremony is done for the vassal by the emperor when the vassal proves loyal under all conditions on that level that he's at. And I got thinking, oh, interesting. Because, I don't know, ceremony, uh, that word throughout scripture has been interesting to me lately in my word studies. And so, um, what does a loyalty ceremony look like where we go from unconditional, or sorry, conditional to unconditional, where we, we swap roles, where we elevate the the terms of the agreement, right? Where, because, I mean... It, the Moses story is clearly pointing out that this is an actual ceremony. And so uh, ancient Near East emperor vassal uh, patterns show us that there's an actual ceremony where we enter into a, a covenant, but then there's an actual ceremony where we actually elevate the terms of the co covenant where it goes from conditional to unconditional. And I was like, huh, interesting. Do we have that in our own experience? And I was like, yeah, it's right there. <laughs> so it, I, th I think it's very interesting, something that I've never considered before, of the of the ceremonies uh, elevating an ordinance. But anyway, I, it was a new insight to to the Moses story that I hadn't considered before. I've seen I've those point out. I mean, uh, sorry. I've noticed those in almost every prophet's story uh, throughout the Book of Mormon. Um, Enos was the one that blew my mind because it was such a short little, mm -hmm. you know, story, but it's clearly there. And I think it's the realization of our in, endowment presentation. It's the actual receiving of that endowment. Um, having a, an encounter with the divine. Mm -hmm. seals your elevation like confirms your previous um conditional covenant um people call it the calling an election made sure sometimes mm -hmm. um but yeah i think it's a real event i think you will know that it happened mm -hmm. yeah um uh, there is an actual ceremony in the priesthood that codifies this. When we go to the our first endowment in the temple, we're given a promise. Even our marriages, we're not sealed in the temple. That's not true. We're given a promise of sealing to our husband or wife based upon what? Our faithfulness. This is continually reiterated through the endowment. But all of these blessings that we're about to give you here in the endowment are contingent upon your faithfulness. The day will come when you will be called up hereafter, a king and a queen and a priest and a priestesses, where now the blessings are only contingent on your faithfulness. Now, where does that happen? It happens in the second endowment. Not too many Latter-day Saints know about that. But that's where you're called in and you are given in the Holy of Holies that all these blessings are sealed upon you because you have proven your faithfulness and that has been revealed to the one who has keys of priesthood to pronounce those blessings now sealed upon you and at that point you were sealed to your husband or wife it is no longer contingent on your faithfulness you have proven yourself already and there were has been numerous men and women throughout the dispensation there's a book by um Oh, I don't remember his name, uh, who wrote a book about the sealing, the second endowment. His name is right on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember, but wrote a whole book about it. And so we're seeking to have that second endowment given to us, which is a continuation of the first endowment, where those blessings are sealed upon us, no longer contingent upon our faithfulness, because we've proven ourselves faithful. So there may be some of the answer to the question that you ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
kind of like the the metaphor sometimes we just live so beneath our privileges uh, because we uh, we have everything available to us if we will but ask um, and um, prove ourselves faithful in in all circumstances by the way that's a book written by andy ehot called the origin of the endowment uh, and the ceiling ordinances. His name is Andy Ehot. It was in a doctoral thesis or something along that order some time ago uh, when he wrote it. You can read about it. And he gives some allusion to what happens in the second endowment. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose that we could talk about that, but not here. Okay, not here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that book was re when he, uh, the doctrinal thesis, when it was actually published into a book, it's called An Holy Order. Yes. Yeah, I think we've heard of that book before, haven't we? Yeah, that is called the Holy Order, and that's when you do receive your second endowment. You enter into that Holy Order, where most of us now are not in that Holy Order, but we're in a Holy Order, and that's that we've been endowed. Now we have to move on in progression to receive the fullness of the priesthood or fullness of the gospel, and we get that in the temple in the Holy of Holies. Mm -hmm. Um, just scrolling through some of my other questions here as we're wrapping up with our time. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think that there's just so many uh, amazing stories that we have in our scriptures if we'll just take the time to actually study them and to, to ponder on their meanings, right? Um, because we have... <laughs> Uh, example after example of um, these these great men and women who have recognized the pattern and lived up to the pattern and uh, are able to receive these and the and they're beckoning us just like from Lehi's dream they they've partaken of the fruit and they're beckoning to everyone hey this isn't just blessings for a select few it's not just for um, uh, a couple of us to, to come into to God's presence, this is available for everyone. If we will just desire it, ask for it, live up to it, fulfill the patterns because uh, God's law is in, immutable. Like uh, he's no respecter of persons. If, if you fulfill the law, the blessings of the law will be granted kind of thing. So it's always up to our agency, right? What is wanted? And, and are you willing to, enter into covenants to strive to be a covenant keeper and to magnify all callings wherewith we've been called to. I, I think that that's just an amazing thing um, that we have in this mortality uh, to live up to our privileges, to live up to our potential and to, to receive greater blessings and not just for our selfish reasons, right? It's all to build up the kingdom as we become fulfill our missions as kings and queens that we can save all of God's children. We can gather Israel on both sides of the veil and we can do great and the great and marvelous work that Isaiah prophesies that will happen in the end time. That's so fun. I, I, <laughs> I, I get so excited when I uh, read these stories and uh, that the, the spirit teaches all of these different layers and, and things that, um, we can live up to but yeah any other thoughts and, and comments on the the first half of, of this lecture yeah i have another comment that uh, may be a tad revolutionary but i'll say it anyway mm -hmm. when god see we talk as latter-day saints often about authority priesthood authority that for certain things you can't do because there isn't priesthood but let me say this if God commands you to do something like he did Nephi killing Laban, you have all the authority you need, okay? And uh, the other thing is you don't argue with God. When he commands you to do something, uh, you do it. And there have been many Latter-day Saints that have received very strong impressions. I'll give you an example. I had a good sister who was told by the Lord to divorce her husband. Whoa, that's not good. Yeah, well, that's what she was told. She told me that. That's against the commandments to divorce her. No, it wasn't. She was told to do that. 
She went to her state president. And the president said, ah, come on, give him another chance. You know, maybe the guy will straighten out. Well, of course, he didn't straighten out. She went through another two years of misery with the, with the turkey. I could use stronger language, but I won't. And at the end of two years, she finally caught on after two years of misery and divorced the lout because that was what the Lord wanted her to do. And she told me the same thing I'm telling you. When the Lord counsels you to do something or commands you, usually he's counseling you, he seldom commands. You do it. You have all the authority you need. When he counsels you, you don't have to argue with anybody. So that's my thought, my own personal thought for the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, any other final comments as we wrap up next week uh i believe let me i always have to check my calendar because i forget when sometimes things come up and i believe next week we are still a go yeah so uh next week same time 9 a.m mountain standard uh, we'll cover the second half of, of lecture 14 yeah yeah well, there's Stop, a guys. <laughs> I know. Yeah, this is a, a great lecture. I, I love this one. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Well, we will see everyone next week, bright and early <laughs> for another mm -hmm. round. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye.